0: So we've come together, these two weeks are a period of retreat. We have more time dedicated to meditation, both on our own and Coming together in the evenings, back practicing for three hours or so together. It's a time to establish our minds on the purpose of the practice. We might always begin with reflecting on the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. the potential within each one of us for enlightenment, for realizing truth following in the the way, the path that the Buddha taught, having experienced that for himself, realized truth for himself. realization of truth he compared to the arising of light in the mind, in the heart. The quality of insight or wisdom arising is a light or a radiance that is more powerful, more bright, more brighter than any other kind of light that we can know nati panya samā apā is this quality of awakening the mind to truth that we're developing through the practice as i say if you're in a <coughs> dark room and you can't see, well, light a candle or turn the light on. And the reason we suffer and still cling on to the world and experience suffering is because we haven't yet turned the light on, the light of wisdom. We haven't yet awakened to truth or developed insight. The way Ajahn Chah referred to this process of awakening, gaining insight, he always talked about the one who knows, the quality of knowing that we're developing in meditation. Where do we develop the one who knows? We develop it in our own heart, our own mind. So we're getting to know that and developing that quality. The Buddha himself we call the awakened one, the one who knows, or an enlightened being. Well, the quality of enlightenment is the quality of awakening, quality of knowing. This knowing is intuitive. And something that we train in, both train in insight and train in calming the mind. It's not just book knowledge or information in the way of the world. Nowadays we tend to value that, often maybe even the highest we associate Somebody is being somebody who knows a lot, we say, oh, that person, very good, they know a lot. <coughs> but of course you can know a lot in world, the worldly way, a lot of information, skills, and it's still valuable. But it doesn't yet mean your heart is truly awake and your heart truly knows, or that you're free from suffering. This is something you have to ask yourself and see for yourself, know for yourself. Sometimes they would come to Ajahn Chah and say, can you read minds? Can you read my mind? Particularly lay people like to ask that question. He would Answer maybe he'd say something like, Can you read your mind? Can you read your own mind? Do you know your own mind? Does this point straight to the heart of practice do you know your own mind? Are you responsible for your own mind? And this is what we are practicing here in this monastery, in this meditation retreat. We're taking responsibility for our own minds and what we think and how we use them. And the most mature, wise, insightful way of looking at your own mind is to accept that I'm responsible for whatever's happening to it. Whatever I'm thinking, why I'm the one thinking it. And obviously our speech, our actions flow on from that. If we feel we have a lot of karma, our background, we have a lot of karmic obstructions to our practice. Or if we feel we have very little karma and things are going well and and we're already quite evolved in our practice, In the end, it's still for us to know for ourselves. Nobody else can do this for us. We have to develop our own insight, our own understanding, and be totally responsible for our own minds and actions. Obviously, the teacher, the teachings, The place, the sangha, the environment is all supportive and helpful and essential, can't do without it. But in the end it's all supporting us in our own efforts to go deeper into our own hearts through the practice. If we do experience obstacles as we're doing these long meditation sessions, if the hindrances come up, essential craving, ill will, dullness, sleepiness, restless mind states or just skeptical doubt, it always comes back to us. We're the ones who think those thoughts, have those feelings, those emotions. So it's up to us to start recognising that (coughs) and developing the qualities, the knowing, this quality of knowing to deal with it and to transcend it, go beyond it, let go of it. So you're feeling ill will just ask yourself, who is thinking these thoughts? Instead of turning to think about other people around you or your past or different situations, just turn to say, you know, I'm the one thinking these thoughts, I've got to do something about it. And this is how mindfulness can arise and the insight can arise. We all have our old karmic conditioning affecting us, so we bring our personality, our character into the practice We have to take responsibility for that, but the whole training is helping us to understand and to let go by developing the one who knows and his quality of knowing in the present moment, through the day, through the night, in every activity. Of course we have old karma affecting us but how much attention and how much you build it up or continue it and that's your responsibility in the present and how much you develop the path in the sila, the samadhi, the panya, the eightfold path, it's up to you. Ajahn Chah said it's like you have two trees next to each other in your garden. One is your old bad karmic conditioning, negative karma that feeds the hindrances, feeds the kilesas. The other is your positive karma, the new karma of developing the path. That tree that is the new karma, well you water that, you give it lots of attention and look after it and it will grow. The other one, you don't give it attention, you don't water it, you just let it go and it will die off and go its own way and die. But if you keep giving attention to the old negative stuff, well of course it will keep coming up to disturb you, and bother you and obstruct your meditation. If you're sitting meditation and you keep indulging in old habits of mind without establishing the one who knows, without letting go, well it will just keep feeding that habit. It may even get worse as you meditate. You might gain more sensual indulgence, sensual craving by having fantasies about the objects of sensuality as you meditate if you're doing nothing about it. Or it might just become your habit. Every time you're seeking distraction, you go into a fantasy. Homesick, thinking about an old girlfriend, thinking about travel, food, whatever takes your pleasure. If that's how you spend your meditation, well, that's feeding this old tree of the negative karma and it will just keep growing and maybe even get bigger and stronger. On the other hand, if you use mindfulness, clear comprehension, sampajanya of what you're doing, yonisau manasikara, wise reflection, and direct that in your meditation to the meditation object and to using insight, into whatever's arising, then you're like feeding the new tree, the new tree of the Dhamma, the Vinaya, the Eightfold Path. If you're patient enough and persistent enough, you have enough wearier, then gradually the new tree will flourish and take over the mind. And the old tree will just wither and die but you have to keep at it by developing this One Who Knows in the way Ajahn Chah taught us. (coughs) He said everything in the monastic life is helping you, supporting you to develop the One Who Knows. like The Vinaya aspect of our practice, this is the training rules, the practices, these are so refined, they're constantly bringing up mindfulness if one is attentive to the rules, to the way of discipline, the routine, the ways of behavior of a Buddhist monastic. Constantly bringing up the one who knows for you just by being attentive to the rules. We've all been brought up by our parents while we are children we can appreciate all the effort they put in they fed us clothed us educated us and so on looked after us in every way And cha used to say but if you think about the Vinaya the Buddha in his wisdom and the Sangha actually looking after us in even more detail more complete way so look at the Vinaya training it teaches you how to eat, how to be mindful of just eating. It's not just something you just eat and put food in your mouth. We have rules about how we receive our food, obtain our food, how we consider our food while it's in the bowl, how we arrange it, how we take the food out of the bowl, (coughs) how we focus just on our own eating, not bother about other people's, how we eat the right amount, how we're clean and polite in the way we eat, we don't make a mess, and so on. There's no system in the world and there's probably no parent in the world who can really match the refinement of the Buddha in the, just the rules around eating food. And He gave us rules how we should urinate, how we should spit, how we defecate the right way, the wrong way to do these things, how we wear our robes, what robes to wear, when, how we wear them, how we look after them, how we fold them, clean them, hang them on a line, and on and on it goes, how we look after our accommodation, how we sweep, we clean it, we maintain it, how we look after sick bhikkhus, how we nurse them, attend on them, how we look after elderly bhikkhus, how we show respect for each other, how we forgive each other with compassion when we make mistakes, how we relate to the laity, how we obtain our livelihood, on and on and on. At first, it probably seems overwhelming, the amount of rules. But if you get the point that it's teaching you in the most compassionate way, helping to bring up the state of the one who knows by being mindful of the Vinaya, you can see that they call the Buddha both mother and father in one being. Or a teacher like Ajahn Chah in Thai, we say Pome Kruhbhajana. It's like they're both mother and father all rolled into one. Because they're teaching us every detail of our life on the outside and then teaching us about the mind on the inside. How to develop the one who knows. How to develop the techniques of meditation. Samatha meditation and then insight meditation. Day in, day out. But we have to be willing to take on the teaching, commit to it, and then be willing to train ourselves and to take what we've heard from the teacher, what we've learned, the rules of discipline, and then take them in, into our heart, reflect on them and use them as a way of training every day. Use the meditation object, the barikamalaya or mindfulness to develop the one who knows on an ongoing basis not just say in a meditation hall like this but when you move around through the monastery you bathe, you eat, you clean even when you're going to sleep or waking up it's all moments and times for developing the one who knows looking after your own heart There's endless variations as well you can develop as you're training in the one who knows. If you're really sincere, you want to experience a state of samadhi when the mind gathers into one-pointedness. You can develop your own techniques to support it as well. how, How often do you actually maintain mindfulness through a meal and know how many mouthfuls of food you had for your meal? Maybe do it once as a special technique and then forget about it. That's a very simple way just to be present in the moment through a meal. Present, aware of the chewing, the lifting of the spoon and so on. Just counting each mouthful until you're full. and No, today I had 57 mouthfuls or 63 mouthfuls or 70 or 80 Then you can actually get to know about food. Food isn't just about nutrition and what it looks like and tastes like and smells like and all the theories about health. But how mindful of you are you of just eating the food? How many mouthfuls it takes when you're very hungry, when you're not hungry, How well do you know yourself? How well do you know your mind as you're eating? Where the mind goes? Is it with the food or is it thinking about other places after a few bites you're already off on a little excursion? How many steps does it take to reach your kuti from the eating hall? when you walk back to your kuti after the meal are you talking to a friend in distraction or just in your own fantasy as you walk along or complaining about something in your mind or are you taking it as a chance to develop more mindfulness than develop the one who knows have you ever counted have you ever had enough mindfulness to count the number of steps go up to your kuti my kuti is 956 steps up from the sala up to the kuti. If you've never tried it, just try it. See, can you keep your mind just counting the steps from one journey, from the kuti down or from the hall up. Maybe only a hundred or two hundred steps already you are lost in another train of thought. It might seem very important, but the one who knows is gone. It's not there. It's just thinking again. We're actually very fortunate here because we have very good support. The lay people have provided so much funds, resources, energy, know-how to build the monastery up. We have a big hall here we can meditate in, even in the winter it's heated. We have food every day, very good quality food. We have requisites, we have kutis in the forest. Everyone has their own place to stay. How well are you making use of all of this? How mindful are you? Or do you just get caught into complaining about it or thinking about the next place? And this is where you bring up the one who knows and you appreciate where you are, what you're doing, what you have. Or sometimes we become more like, just like kids again, whinging, yelping. The one that deals with this is the one who knows. You just know your own mind and you don't have to judge it. You just know whinging again, complaining again, into various negative mind states again, just bring up the one who knows and as soon as you establish that, you bring your mind to the present moment, you'll find that state just dissolves away very quickly, or the desire for distraction, your endless desire for distraction, wanting other things Instead of developing contentment, fewness of wishes, the mind can just always be discontent, wanting this, wanting that, trying to get this, get that. Again, it's the one who knows that cuts this off, brings the mind to the present moment. And sometimes it's even painful, isn't it, bringing the mind to the present moment. All you're doing is maybe following the breath, your feet as you walk, reciting bhutto or a particular chant, And yet it can be painful just bringing your mind to the present moment because you have to go against some desire, some mood. How strange, isn't it, that the mind actually finds it painful being held into the present moment. And that's just the kalesas. are just like kids complaining. But if you keep training them, they'll start to quieten down and get the hang of it. If you really want to experience a one point in mind, peaceful mind, then you have to follow what the Buddha did what Lumpur Chow did. They were willing to train themselves. They were willing to let go of all of that. They are sincere in their efforts and they didn't give up. All they gave up were the Kilesas. And you can practice in a monastery on a, just a sort of half-hearted level, to sort of get by keeping most of the rules, doing a bit of meditation learning a bit of Dhamma, giving some talks or something but if you really want to experience what the Buddha and Ajahn Chah were talking about then you have to dedicate yourself to it you have to be willing to give up there's no other way you have to be willing to go through a bit of pain. Ajahn Cha said you have to be willing to cry at least three times with the frustrations and the difficulties of practice. You know, Just training this mind with the one who knows, bringing it back to the present moment, letting go of a certain attachment, a certain desire. is that if you've never cried and never been brought to the point of tears in your practice, then you, you probably haven't yet tried hard enough. There's still more to do. You see the results in practitioners who have dedicated themselves to it. And many of those Senior monks we know or know of in the past who have practiced, you see the result of many years of developing the one who knows, developing insight, understanding, not giving in to their moods and emotions and desires, but learning how to let go of them, go against the stream. The result is that people become very peaceful, content, happy in themselves, Whether they know a lot in a worldly sense is a different issue. But you can see they're peaceful and content in themselves. They're not bothered by things. Because they know how to train their mind, they have the one who knows as a kind of abiding place, is what they call it, the Vihara Dhamma. They have the ability to develop sati and insight. Like Lumpur when he walked all the way to India barefoot back in the 1930s I think is one of few words, went away for 12 years, walked through Burma, India, Laos, back to Thailand. He had a dream that his mother was going to die so he's coming back to teach his mother some dhamma before she died. On the way to his mother's village he heard Lumpur was staying in Sakonakon so he stopped in to pay respects to his teacher. He just walked into the monastery in the afternoon when Lumpur was sweeping. And he just walked up and Ajahn Man just said to him, Venerable Ginnari, have you found your dwelling place? It is like a play on words. He said, have you found your dwelling place? And he just answered, yes. And that was it. That was their conversation after 12 years away. When he said, have you found your dwelling place? It was on one hand keeping the Vinaya, checking whether he had found his accommodation for the night in the monastery. But on the deeper level he meant, have you found the abiding place in your heart? You know, one who knows mindfulness insight sila, samati, panya, where it all comes together in the heart he said yes and generally considered to be an arahant by then enlightened being who has this abiding place he didn't have to ask you know, where have you been, what have you done, who you met all the places that what you might imagine we would be doing he just said have you found your dwelling place yes Other monks you meet, maybe it's in their time of old age or when they're close to death, and you see the the advantages of having practiced mindfulness over a lifetime, keeping the Vinaya, living very peacefully, not creating any negative karma or not anything serious, die very peacefully. Even monks when they have lots of Dukkha Waitana, still very peaceful and often very lucid, aware through it, even though they have the pain and discomfort. I was thinking of Lumpur Bhunna, who was one of Ajahnana's teachers. Ajahnana always praised him how in the end of his life, when he was in the hospital, he had lots of pain because his organs were stopping, function, stopped functioning gradually. He had lots of um, internal bleeding and so on going on. He just lay on his bed, very peaceful. The very last day of his life, I think Ajahnarant went to visit him. He, he was lying there with his eyes closed. But when Ajainan went in, he opened his eyes, even though he's in incredible pain, they say. He just looked at him and said, Have you eaten yet? Because it was late in the morning he said he had and he closed his eyes and he said he didn't open them again and then later that day he died he's lying there in great pain, discomfort but mindful enough just to ask have you eaten yet no complaint, no mention of pain just mindful with the one who knows through it Lumpur Panyawada when he died they, everyone's crowding around saying what do you want, what do you need and the last words And I just need peace and quiet just wanted everyone to just calm down and not get so upset about him not long after that he died These are just examples of people who have practiced with the one who knows through their life, really given up to Dhamma Vinaya and gained that radiance, of the radiance of a, of a bright, wise, mindful mind that has come through the practice, maybe many years of practice, whole lifetime of practice. opportunity uh, tonight suppose it at night so we'll do our evening chanting at nine o'clock a little bit earlier than usual for the rest of this period we can uh, sit or walk as we like and then come together to chant at nine so I'll just leave the uh, talk there for now